Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 89 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first show of 2019 and the first show where we're operating as a standalone show. Today's guest is the founder of the Change Your POV podcast network, Eddie Lassery, and we talk about why they brought a mental health professional onto the network to address the stigma against seeking mental health support. You know, guys are talking about their experiences. They may not be, they may not realize that what they're doing um, is touching different uh, mental health concepts, but they're talking about it nonetheless, right? And that's one of the things that I, I find or I found and continue to find, I guess, uh, most beneficials is talking to guys that may, I don't necessarily have to serve with them, but guys that have served that I can be able to have a conversation about my time in the military and my time, you know, on deployment um, it, it, and feel like it's it's a safe place to talk and it's OK to discuss certain things because there are things that happened or that has happened or does happen in, in wartime that to anyone that was never there or has never experienced it would look at it and be like, that's, that's, you know, that's wrong. That's really messed up. Like, how could you do that? Or how could you be a part of that or, you know, be privy to that? Or how could you be okay with that? And it's like, you know, it's those, it's those conversations that you have that you're able to open up and not be judged by um, things that have happened in your in your deployment or in your experience. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. So yeah, this is happening. It is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little nervous, or I'm a little nervous. It's a little... Why uh, is it? Well, you know, it's a... Uh, <clears throat> failure to launch kind of thing right I'm uh, like I said the other day I'm moving out of dad's basement I'm in a place of my own and you know you're gonna you're gonna do great man it's uh you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of continued success with it I 
promise you that. We've had a lot of success so far, and 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 I think you know, I think you're getting a lot of not exposure is the wrong word, but you're getting a lot of um, we're breaking the stigma of what it's about, right? It's about awareness. It's about getting people to talk and to share share experiences. I it's funny because I just um, I was trying to watch that movie. Thank you for your service, right? And so I got on my Amazon Prime thinking I might be able to watch it for free. And I got on there, and I can't, I can't watch it for free. It's not available to rent yet. You can only buy it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to buy it for $17 or whatever it was. I'm just going to wait till it comes out for rent. But there was another thing right next to it. It was also thank you for your service. It was available on, on Amazon Prime. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that's all about. So I decided to watch it, and it was that documentary. Have you seen it? No, no. Is it? Uh, oh based, my God! Based on the uh, the book too, or no? No, no. It's it's not. It's very similar. Um, it's called uh, "Thank You for Your Service," starring Mark Russell. Um, documentary. Let me see who it was written by, or who it was produced by. Uh, director is Tom Donahue. And there was interviews on there from Robert Gates, Mike Mullen, Mark Russell. Really interesting documentary. Um, highly recommend you check it out. Right up your alley, man. Yeah, it's a, an incredible documentary. It just it talks about everything that you're talking about about the the lack of mental health structure and services within the you know, the VA and actually went through and I, some things I didn't know about is they actually had some reintegration, um, camps and things, you know, post world war two and, um, had some great success with it. But shortly after it was, th- those programs were piloted or, uh, were sunsetted and were never kind of captured or, or, or kept over and it just seems like every time we go into a war, every time we're in post-war, we got to rediscover uh, programs and, and rediscover mental health and rediscover uh, the things that, that, that afflict the returning warriors, right? You know, that's something that's interesting because I remember when we were our brigade was come back from Afghanistan, this would have been 9-10, there was actually some conversation about the brigade going to Germany for two weeks. Um, so leaving Afghanistan, going to Germany to Birch's Garden, beautiful place in Bavaria there. And there was a discussion about doing that, right? You know, having two weeks to do sort of the reintegration thing in Europe. Um, you know, this whole idea of, you know, coming back on the troop ships and having time to decompress and not leaving, you know, uh, the battlefield and then being back on America's streets two days later. Uh, but, uh, one, a lot of the soldiers were like, forget that. I just spent a year with you yahoos and I, I don't want to, you know, um, I don't want to spend another two weeks. Uh, the, the families back home, of course, were up in arms. No. And of course the army was like, forget that we're not going to pay for it kind of thing. And so even though it was, you know, it, it, things like that, you know, time to reintegrate, time to decompress, even though it would have been beneficial, it never happened because everybody was up in arms against it. Wow. It's just amazing. Yeah. The evolution is just, we, you know, what is the, uh, the saying, the reason to 
study history is if you don't, you're, you're doomed to repeat it. Right. And yeah, I guess there was, uh, and if you look through back into history, a lot of the earlier cultures, um, have, um, I wouldn't call it, maybe it's post-war, but it's post, maybe post-service, but they had ceremonies, right? Very, ceremonies when people would leave the service and ceremonies um, when people would return from war. And it's one of the things we seem to have lost in our culture is a, we, we do a lot to ceremoniously accept someone into the ranks of our military through, you know, boot camp, raising right hand, you know, all of the structures of being a part of a team and a squad and a platoon and a lot of the rituals that go on, the promotion ceremonies, you got even your, you know, different types of, of ceremonies that you participate in throughout your military career. And then when it's time to get out, one of the most significant things about your military service is actually separating from it. And in most cases, there's nothing. You know, there's a, here's your DD 214. There's the front front gate and, uh, you know, have a nice day. And, and, and that's what it was for me and, and a lot of other guys that I talked to. And it's just seems to me like there's just something epically wrong with, with that. So what was it like that, that last day? So you, uh, you separated out of uh, hood. Yeah. Hood. So it was, uh, so I was in Iraq and I, I voluntarily extended past my ETS before we even, before we got deployment orders and we got our stop loss. Um, I knew that if we got, if we got hit with a stop loss, I was going to, um, get hit. So I had the option actually before I deployed to get out of the army or voluntarily extend my ETS in order to get sucked into the stop loss. Well, I wasn't about to get out of the military I mean, these are the guys that I trained for, you know, the better part of three years. And uh, it's like, I'm not, you know, putting in all that effort and then not going over there with my guys. So I voluntarily extended my, my ETS, got sucked into the stop loss. And then, so I hit the ground in Iraq post and I was already past my ETS date. And um, it was uh, a few months before we were to redeploy and I got called into Sergeant Major's office. And, uh, my fob was, was the same, same fob as the brigade sergeant major and brigade, uh, commander and got called into the brigade sergeant major's office. And, and apparently they were looking at, uh, retention and, and what we're going to look, look like uh, post deployment, that type of thing. And he basically said that I had two choices. I either reenlist indefinite because anything over 10 years, right. Is indef, um, or. I had to make the decision right then and there that once I redeployed that I was separating. And so I had to make this decision in the middle of Baghdad, called home to my wife and had that conversation. That was a very difficult conversation to have because this was 2004, 2005. And this, you know, everything that was going on over there was being plastered all over the news, every outlet. So it was very much a, unlike today where there's still conflict but you very rarely ever hear or see or anything about it on the, on the news. Back then, it was very much upfront um, and a daily daily thing for for my wife and my family. And um, to try to make that decision to to reenlist indefinite, not knowing what it was going to look like in terms of redeployments and 
and everything that we were kind of afraid of actually unfolded. And that was just back to back, just one deployment after another, all my, my guys that stayed in had gone through. And, um, so I decided to, to get out, told the Sergeant major that made the decision to separate and, um, felt pretty good about it, but I wasn't, obviously I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have any education post my high school diploma, you know, 10 years in the army is all I knew. And, uh, I didn't even know how to live on my own essentially because I moved right out of my parents' basement <laughs> as, as a high school graduate right into the military. And, uh, you know, didn't know how to do that whole adulting thing all by myself. I mean, granted, I was married and had kids who lived off post, but for the most part, military dictated everything that I was going to do, what I was going to wear, where I was going to live, you know, where I was going to work and, uh, controlled a large part of, you know, who, who I was, you know, I got notified when I was supposed to go to the dentist, when I was supposed to get a checkup. I mean, everything was controlled and I was just used to that. I didn't know how to do any of that on my own. And, uh, so anyway, uh, redeployed in 05 back to Fort hood and literally had 30 days, 30 days to, you know, sign over my equipment to whoever is going to take my place, clear CIF, clear housing, um, you know, figure out transportation, like figure out how I was going to live the rest of my life without the military. And so 30 days, as you can imagine, it's a long pretty, time. No, pretty, it's a, it's pretty like, quickly. It's, it's like a year, right? Yeah, yeah, I was just handed a great big checklist, and I just I was told that you have until this date to make sure that everything on this checklist was was signed off and initialed or stamped uh, before I could pick up my DD two fourteen. And so, you know, it was everything. I had to clear medical, dental, you know, the list. Everyone that's ever separated knows the list that you you go through, right? And in between there, I had to I had to go to I think it was like a, a three hour. TAPS class. And at the time it was very, I don't even know if it was called TAPS at the time. It was very new. Uh, it was a transition assistance program or whatever, whatever, you know, there was no formal notification about what it was, how I could leverage it, what I was supposed to do with the information. So I sat through this three hour blur of information overload and was handed three ring binders and a bunch of pamphlets. A series of people would come in do the little 20, 30 minute pitch, hand out, hand out a, you know, like a document or two. And then the next person was up and they were covering everything from, you know, life insurance to this crazy thing that I don't even know what it is called a 401k to, you know, you know, military education, you know, converting military experience, like all this stuff. And I was just like, so here I am just with this information dump that had no idea what half of it meant or what I was supposed to do with any of it. And on top of it, I've got a wife and kids and I've got to try to find a place to move to and a, a job that I was going to do. I had no idea what I was going to do. It was just a blur, man. And then I finally finished getting everything checked off and went to uh, pick up my DD-214. They printed it off and I just remember them saying, whatever you do, don't lose it because trying to get another one is very difficult make copies, put it somewhere safe. I'm like, okay, now what? And they're like, well, you got to give me your ID card. And I'm like, oh yeah. So I, I handed my ID card and they gave me something. They said, no, you gotta, you've got to proceed to the gate and you're not allowed back on the post without an escort. 
And I just remember them saying that. I just found that very weird that I wasn't allowed back on the post without an escort. And I didn't really understand what that meant <laughs> because I've been able to get on posts for 10 years and, and I never had to be escorted anywhere. And uh, so I left the gate still in uniform uh, with my DD-214 in hand. And I remember as I was driving through the, the front gate, main gate of Fort Hood, I just looked at the guard shack and I just saw the line of cars that were waiting to get in. And I just remember thinking to myself, if I ever wanted to come back in that direction, I would have to have somebody sign me in. I would have to have an escort to e- even access everything that I've known for the last decade. Um, and it was kind of a surreal moment for me. And then I got home. Uh, I had this mixed emotion of excitement because it, I was no longer in the military, fear because I was no longer in the military, uh, anger because I just felt like there was just something missing or I felt something was I left undone or unfinished. Like, I just remember thinking, like, I didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to any of my guys because while I was busy in that 30 days um, getting ready to, to leave the military, every, all of my guys and all of my friends and everybody that I knew was getting ready to uh, basically redeploy. Um, they were, uh, you know, some of them were receiving orders to get stationed somewhere else. Others were getting moved, you know, within Fort Hood to another battalion. Uh, people were getting promoted, you know, going to PLDC, going to BNOC. Like everyone was just kind of going a gunshot blast, just three sheets to the wind, all different directions. And I just remember thinking, man, I didn't even have a chance to to even really say goodbye to anybody. And uh, got home, took off my uniform, kind of threw it on the bed like I normally do. And uh, I just remember looking at the uniform thinking, that's like, it. Damn, that's that's the last time I, I'll, I'll probably never put that on again. And sure enough, I never did. It was such a weird feeling, man. A lot of mixed emotions. So you you had uh, you had some leave, I imagine. So it wasn't like uh, you still had like a month or two. Yeah, yeah, I had some leave saved up because I was basically in Iraq for a whole year. Didn't didn't really take any leave. Had a two week R and R, but that was it. So I had I had a like a thirty day pay cushion that was it you know then after so, that it was like and and that was one of the things that uh it, it sort of happens in stages right you know your final out then your dd214 then you take it off and and then 30 days later you wake up one morning and then you realize that i'm not even i'm not even on leave anymore like i am literally 100 percent right. irrevocably out of the military yeah yeah yeah, and as and you know, shortly after I ended up packing up my family and moved um, up here to New Hampshire. Well, what I didn't know was the military only paid for the distance uh, from your home of record to your military installation. So, which is fine if you're moving back to your home of record. But unlike me, I, I wasn't moving back to my home of record. I was moving to New England, which is. Um, you know, considerably further distance from where my home record was from Fort Hood and uh, found out after for, after the fact that if I had just changed my home record, because I haven't, obviously haven't been back to my home record the entire time I was in the military, it really wasn't my home record anymore, but if I would, would have changed my home record, I could have actually had been paid for the full travel distance uh, to, to New England where I moved to. And, and I didn't know that. So I didn't even get the opportunity to get paid for the full 
uh, move out of the military. Um, about half, half the distance is what I got compensated for in, in, you know, whatever they pay you in mileage or whatever. But yeah, so ended up eating half the cost to move to New England after I separated. So that was my first kind of like feeling of a little, a little betrayal by, by the military. And, uh, cause they, they knew all this. I, I didn't know that. And I felt a lot of their responsibility. Like I felt that they had the responsibility to tell me these things and to inform me and to educate me. Um, I was very much not on the side of taking responsibility for my own, um, my own actions, my own decisions and, and my own separation. I very much kind of left it up to the military to, to, to control the, the, the onus of, of my success. And, and I, and I see that a lot with, uh, with guys that get out that struggle, that find difficulty in separation. There's a lot of that, like, you know, feeling of the military should have been more responsible for my post military success. I felt that, you know, it wasn't until many, many years later that I realized, huh, I really own that. Now, there was a lot of things that I'm sure the military could have done to help my transition. But by and large, that success post-military was really on me and up to me. And if anyone listening to this that's separated or is separating thinks or feels or believes in one way or another that the military should be ultimately responsible for their success post-military, I'm telling you. You're going to be sadly disappointed. Uh, you're going to end up becoming very bitter. I was actually very bitter towards military uh, for quite some time because, again, I felt that it was their responsibility more than it was mine uh, to ensure that I had the tools. But then again, I looked at that massive pack that I got from the TAPS classes and all of that information. I Then I began to think to myself, well, maybe this was their, maybe this was their attempt at – giving me that information and providing me with the support that I needed to be successful. But when I started to look to that information, I didn't understand most of it. And so then I started to feel like, okay, well maybe they gave me the information, but they didn't provide me with the education and the tools necessary to decipher this information and actually put it into action where I could benefit from it. So then it was just in this constant cycle of my fault, their fault, my fault, their fault, my fault, their fault. Um, and it wasn't until I finally just said, you know what? Screw the military. I'm not going to blame them for anything anymore. I'm just going to stand on my own two feet. I'm going to be ultimately responsible for everything that happens in my life, good and bad, and take that ownership. And once I made that decision, I don't know what, what it was that triggered that, but once I finally just said, you know what? That's it. I own it, good and bad. It's my life. It's my whatever. And and, and I'm going to, that's it. And then I just began to look at ways to improve my situation. You know, j- jumped, tried my hand at my own business. It failed. Didn't know what I was going to do. Did whatever I thought I could do. Became a corrections officer. And I said, you know what? I want more for my life. And I own it. This is my responsibility. I'm not going to blame anybody. Not Definitely not the military. And uh, I was working second shift. And asked my supervisor if I can move to first shift so I could take night classes and go to go to college and get a degree. And that's what I did. I just started to 
really take my own success into my own hands and just fight for what I wanted and have been, you know, I, I would say successful, not, not necessarily monetarily successful. I mean, I'm not, not rich by any means. Um, but me and my family, we, we're, we, we survive and we're not hungry and, you know, we could, we, we pay the bills and, you know, we, we get along with our lives and, you know, I got, you know, son that just graduated college recently and, you know, found an incredible job. I got a daughter that's doing really well in school. I mean, you know, I couldn't really ask for a whole lot more. And I think a lot of that really just comes down to taking that, uh, the ownership and that onus, uh, and that responsibility. And that's really kind of ultimately why I started to change your POV back in the day was because I wanted to share my experiences with those that were transitioning in hopes that maybe I could, um, cause you know, in the military you, you have this, it's a train the trainer, right? You, you learn something, you, you pass it on to the next guy. You know, you're Joe and you finally become a, a team chief. You pass that information off to your guy. Then you become a, a squad leader and you pass that off to your team chiefs. You become a platoon sergeant. You pass that off to your squad leaders. I mean, it's all the way up the chain, right? It's the succession of command. And that's how the military has been so successful is just that exchange of knowledge and information. Um, you don't want the guy below you to have to learn all of those things the hard way every single time. Now you're going to have a guy, you know, you're going to learn things the hard way, but you don't want to have to have everyone in the military recreate the wheel, right? Cause that's just not an efficient way to, 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 to run anything. And so change your POV was really an ultimate, my ultimate way of trying to, you know, pay that back and try to be a source of information to those that are transitioning to say, Hey, you know, I'm not going to be here and tell you that it's going to be roses and easy. It's going to be difficult and hard, and and there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to fail at. But let me help you out on, on a few things that that maybe you don't have to fail at so miserably. And that was really the the goal of Change Your POV for the past three years. And and I think in by and large, I think we um, were successful. You know, were we able to get into the hands of as many veterans as, as I would like? No, but I mean, I think that's everybody that's ever tried to help somebody. You want to be able to help more, right? Um, and then introducing different concepts like mental health and, and camaraderie and, and military history and just building uh, a team of like hearted individuals onto the change of POV network, um, really helped it grow into, more of a, uh, a complete resource, I think. And so, um, it's really, really good to see everyone's journey in, in that. And, you know, we've had some kind of come along and, and, and help add to that catalog of knowledge and experience and, and then left and others have come on and, and now it's, you know, now you're starting your, your own show and your own RSS feed and it's really exciting to to see that journey. I mean, you've you've got a lot going on and you've you're interviewing a lot of amazing guests and you're you know, opening up the Pandora's box of, of veteran mental health. And I'll be honest with you, Dwayne, that if I hadn't had met you, I would not be as far along in my own 
mental health knowledge and journey as I am today, just in the amount of knowledge that I've been able to glean from, uh, from you personally and also from the guests that you have on and the dialogue that you guys have on your, on your shows every week. Well, see, and you had that, uh, you know, what can, I guess, generally be considered a successful transition. It was, it was rocky. I don't even want to say it was a little rocky, but you, you ran into some rough patches. Um, and then, you know, things smoothed out and you figured out how to, to navigate the rough waters. You know, I'll be honest with you. And, and when you're talking about sort of the ritual kind of stuff, um, I had that, right? You know, because I retired from the military and I had my retirement ceremony. I had that, um, you know, that ritual, that sort of, you know, continuing. I had 18 months from when I decided to retire until we actually uh, completed it. I had a couple months, you know, leave. And and so, and even then for me, it was, you know, um, it seemed very short, but I walked out and I already had a job and we still had our house and, you know, and, and I had a very atypical, you know, smooth transition. Um, and, and to hear you say that even with the successful transition that you've had, that there was still benefit to, to hear the, the mental health piece, um, you know, that's, it's that's the one aspect that we don't talk about when it comes to transition. Um, you know, and, and everybody inside the machine thinks they know what it's like outside the machine. You know, you said that uh, the person said, hey, you know, make copies of your DD-214 because it's it's difficult. Well, it's, it's not actually that difficult to get a copy of your DD-214. It's actually pretty easy now. But the person who gave it to you had always been told, you know, it's impossible. Um, it's like that uh, your sergeant major trying to tell you, well, you know, the job market out there is, is horrible. So you might as well just stay in. Well, he's never been in the job market. He doesn't know. Right. Right. Yep. And so it's, it's these issues of once you're in the machine, you don't know what it's like outside the machine, but you give everybody advice about it. And I used to do the same thing, you know, it's like, Hey Joe, you know, high five, good luck. You know, here's 20 bucks. I hope you know where the bus station is. Cause I sure don't. And I turn back and I go into post and, you know, go back to doing my job, right? And and so once you're out of the military, sort of have this, uh, you know, holy crap! There's all these things that I needed to know that I didn't realize. And uh, and and what you guys did with the with change your POV was trying to sort of put that mark uh, and, and give that information back so that it's the same thing like you said in the military is uh, i'm just a little bit farther along than you so i'm going to give some uh give some information and give some help and you guys you know I, I when i was going through and i was transferring um this over 578 separate episodes in 3 years that's a lot yeah. man yeah it's huge it is and and <laughs> and it's funny because when we first started you know i started out by myself doing solo shows which really sucked and found Bennett and he came on and we ultimately became, you know, co-hosts together on the show. And we just covered, you know, our initial goal was, was 50. Let's just get to 50 episodes and see what happens. And that's why when, when you first came, came on board, I was like, just give me 50 episodes. And then, you know, you'll decide by then whether or not that it's going to be worthwhile to keep going. Or if you're, you kind of had enough fun and want to exit, but 50 episodes, I think, is kind of the earmark of any podcast to to really have enough time uh, in your you know behind your belt to to really know if it's something you want to keep doing or not, and uh, so we got to fiftieth our fiftieth episode, 
and it's one of my favorite episodes on the shows because it, I ended up doing a, a collage of, of different sound bites from the, from the previous 50 shows. And it was just kind of a sampling of our journey in, in those 50 shows. And you look back on the, on everything that we've created and we've, we've covered topics from, you know, meditation to moral injury, to resume building, to, you know, even, uh, an episode that we did that I really enjoyed was, um, was, uh, the concept of, of rituals growing up and, and converting from, from, you know, childhood to manhood and, and, and different cultures and what different cultures do in this, in these different rituals of transition, um, from childhood to adulthood and, and we, and just exploring the different ideas and concepts and possibilities. And, and one of the things that the podcast taught me was to be open-minded about things that, um, just because you don't know, doesn't mean that it isn't real or, or doesn't happen. Or just because you may have an opinion about something one way, it doesn't mean that that's the reality. And, you know, you, you may have a belief about something, but it doesn't make it, make it correct. And so it really forced me to kind of, and it challenged my own thoughts and perception about my own beliefs. And, you know, one of the earlier things that we talked about that, uh, we, that Ben and I were kind of exploring before you came on board was this idea and concept of moral injury. Um, and it's because we did a lot of shows on post-traumatic stress and because that's really what, you know, I, I there were some things that I struggled with when I got out and, and the only thing that I knew to describe it uh, was PTS. And but when I looked at and did more research on PTS, there were some things that I could relate to, but it really wasn't hitting the mark for me uh, in terms of a lot of the things I was struggling with. But it wasn't until we started to look at and read articles about this weird thing called moral injury that it really started to click with me in, in the things that I was dealing with personally. Um, and, and then you came on board and was able to kind of expand on that uh, idea of moral, in, moral injury and, and how different things within moral injury can really impact and affect your, your life. Uh, and I just became a, a student of, of, you know, that the mental health space. I mean, I, obviously I wasn't taking seminars and becoming a student in the conventional sense, but just in the, um, taking on and, and absorbing and listening to and reading different ideas and concepts around, uh, veteran mental health really opened my eyes to a lot of the challenges that I see with, with my buddies and friends, um, both those that are even still serving and those that, that have gotten out. Um, and that's, and that's the thing, like you, you talk about, um, you know, these guys that don't know until they're, you know, until the, the machine, they don't, they don't understand the machine. They don't understand the machine outside the military until they're out. Right. I've had guys that, uh, that I've reached out to and I was like, Hey man, you really need to start thinking about, you know, developing your, your LinkedIn profile and, and start really looking at your network and start thinking about your life as it, as it might look post military. And a lot of these guys that are still in and that I really care about, they're my, my friends, my buddies. And they're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't see the need for that. I just don't understand. You know, I got my, I got my uh, DA photo. I've got my military profile. I'm good to go. 
And I'm like, that's good for when you're in the military. But, you know, when you get out, a lot of that information is really not that relevant. Um, and people don't want to hear that their military experience isn't going to be as relevant as they might want it to be when they get out. And that's the reality of it. Uh, it just isn't as relevant as you might think. And, um, it's funny cause I just, uh, I, I just talked to a, one of my closest friends I served with, um, almost the entire time I was in and, uh, he stayed in after I got out and, uh, did quite a few more years than I did. But um, he's out now, and he's been working at a in a company um, as a welder and um, working on like uh, the you know the welding robots. So he kind of manages and maintains these welding robots. But he understands welding, and uh, he's really really good at what he does. He was you know a platoon sergeant. He was he worked at at one point as the battalion non commissioned officer for the field artillery battalion. Like really smart guy. You know knows how to lead. Is a true leader. True true, uh, um, um, mentor type of leader. He leads by example and it's not, you know, won't do anything unless he's either done it himself or, um, not willing to do it himself that he's just that kind of guy, real, real down to earth. And, uh, <clears throat> so his supervisors at this plant approached him and, and, um, we're, we're kind of feeling, feeling him out to see if, if he wants to take on like, these, you know, supervisor or management, management type roles. And he's like, well, I've, you know, I, I can, you know, I can manage this, I can manage that. And, and they're like, well, you don't really have any experience. And he goes, dude, that's just what I, you know, did for, you know, 15 years in the army. And they're like, uh, and, and they looked at him and said, yeah, but leading in the military is different. And, uh, or, or I think they said managing in the military is different than, than managing here. And, and, uh, and, and he and I were talking about what a lot of people think that being a manager or supervisor in the military means. Like a lot of people that don't know uh, or understand thinks that, that all we did every day was go to the range and shoot targets, right? And just play with weapons all day long. And, uh, you know, nobody really understands the, the full spectrum of roles and responsibilities uh, and experiences that you have in the military with administrative tasks and with, you know, managing people and, um, managing schedules and projects and the list of, of, of things that we do in the military, especially the further up the ranks you go, um, is very transferable, uh, to the same types of experiences you would have or need in the civilian sector to be a successful supervisor and manager, et cetera. And, uh, we just kind of chuckled about it because he and I like, it's like, you know, we're on the inside, like we have the inside joke, like we're laughing about it. But the reality is so many non-military folks, let's call them non, we'll call them civilians or, or non-veterans, whatever you want to call them. Um, unless they're educated, they don't really fully understand the value that a veteran can bring uh, to their organization. And, that, and again, that's another thing that Change Your POV was trying to do. You, you're trying to break down the stigma of veteran mental health. I'm trying to break down the stigma of, of all veterans only, you know, go to work every day and just shoot guns. Like there's a lot of transferable skills that we have that we can bring to bear into the corporate world. And it's just educating those veterans to be able to articulate what those things are. Um, and that's one of the things that I help veterans do. And uh, that's kind of my my passion, the, the passion you have for veteran mental health, I have for 
uh, educating veterans to be successful in the corporate environment. Bennett's passion is very much around uh, entrepreneurial uh, type endeavors. Like he really, really has a heart for, um, you know, small business ownership, um, nonprofit organizations, and just that whole entrepreneurial spirit. So you just get this collection of guys on the network that have different passions about different things and the willingness and in, in, in desire to, to help uh, a fellow brother out. And I think is kind of the, the secret sauce that change your POV has brought to the table for the last three years. Well, yeah, no, I mean, in, in there has what, by whatever measure of success and, you know, you were talking about, you know, it, it didn't make us rich or anything. Um, but over 131,000 downloads, right. You know I mean? That's nothing to sneeze at is that over 131,000 times someone, um, listened to something that you guys had to say. Um, this idea of people who have never been in the military, who have that idea, again, this is this idea of those who are outside the machine and had never been in the machine, doesn't know what it looks like on the inside. I had a similar experience after I finished my master's in uh, clinical mental health. I still had some GI bill left. And so I went back to get my MBA and I was talking to the, um, uh, the, the head of the, the MBA program there at my university Uh, And she said the same thing, you know, and I said, yeah, I was in the army for 22 years. And I, you know, explained to her what a platoon sergeant was and a first sergeant was and all that. And she was like, well, you're going to learn a lot in this program because leading in business is a lot different than leading in the military. And I nodded and smiled. And as I went through the MBA, I was like, leading is a lot like leading anywhere else, right? You know, it's this, you know, and and I was able to, you know, especially with my classmates or whatever, but I was able to draw a lot of parallels between the challenges and the things that, uh, that I did, uh, that we overcame in the military to those same things. And so it's, it's very, um, it's interesting. And that's where I think indefinitely I saw change your POV as bridging that gap, not just informing, um, the veterans or, or the, the military family members, but also informing those that we're going to be working with veterans. And that's one of the, the goals of, of my show that was within the, the change your POV is if you're going to be working with the veteran, you have to understand what it's like, right? You know, they have to listen to your transition story, um, to hear what it's like and, and even what the challenges of transition are. Uh, but, but again, and you guys said that, or you said it earlier that you guys didn't just look at resume stuff. You didn't just look at, you know, the the standard, you know, how do you interview? Because there's all kind of, you know, things like that going on. I think that that show about moral injury was probably the first. That's how I found you, was the, the show on moral injury. And I'd listen to it, and not in a a cynical way of, you know, let me troubleshoot these guys. But I was like, after listening to it, I was like, these guys got it. I mean, they're pretty on target with this, right? I mean, you, as a a grasping of not having um, any clinical training in it, um, I think you had, uh, it it wasn't just you and Bennett, you had somebody else on the show, uh, Tim, I think it was, um, that the three of you were talking about moral injury and you'd done your research and I think that's when I had reached out to you and I'd already been writing for a year. Um, and I think that I had just said, Hey, let me come on your show and, and talk about what you guys, what you guys got right kind of thing. Uh, and I think that's pretty much how I got connected to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was. And, 
it was it was one of those things where you know we weren't afraid to stretch the limits of our own personal knowledge about ideas and concepts. Neither one, I mean, Bennett was probably the closest expert we had in the veteran mental health space being a, uh, you know, working for the VA doing, uh, um, you know, peer mentorship type of activities. Uh, but at the same time, you know, very limited, uh, exposure to any actual, you know, training in that area. But at the same time, it's like, these are the things that veterans are talking about amongst themselves all the time. Anyway, whether they're talking about them with, uh, a veteran mental health specialist or clinician or otherwise, you know, guys are talking about their experiences. They may not be, they may not realize that what they're doing, um, is touching different, uh, mental health concepts, but they're talking about it nonetheless. Right. And that's one of the things that I, I find or I found and continue to find, I guess, uh, most beneficials is talking to guys that, I don't necessarily have to serve with them, but guys that have served that I can be able to have a conversation about my time in the military and my time, you know, on deployment, um, and feel like it's, it's a safe place to talk and it's okay to discuss certain things because there are things that happened or that has happened or does happen in, in wartime that to anyone that was never there or has never experienced it would look at it and be like, that's, that's, you know, that's wrong. That's really messed up. Like, how could you do that? Or how could you be a part of that or, you know, be privy to that? Or how could you be okay with that? And it's like, you know, it's those, it's those conversations that you have that you're able to open up and not be judged by, um, things that have happened in your, in your deployment or in your experience. Um, and that was just, it's a, it's a place of, I don't know, maybe call it a safe place, I guess, for the lack of a better term, but being able to just open up and talk with guys that have been there, done that, um, has helped me through my journey, um, post post military in my transition, because when I moved away from Fort hood to new England, there was no mil- there's really no military infrastructure up here at all. There's no military base close by. There's no real large military or veteran organizations. I mean, you've got your typical, you know, American Legion and your VFWs. Um, aside from that, there's really not a whole lot up here, right? And so, so if, I uh, lo- if World War Three kicks off, you and Bennett are in charge of the brigade, right? Yeah. You guys, <laughs> yeah. yeah, round yeah. them up, boys. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah, it was just, you know, I, I lost connection uh, to the military ethos, I think. And 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 it was hard for it was hard for me to to be separated from the military and, and be away from that um, that team team atmosphere, I think, or that whatever you want to call it. Right. Being a part of, you know, a larger group or a larger meaning of you know, a loss of purpose, I think is the big, big thing that I felt, um, you know, because the military was very much my world, my identity and, and was who I was, right. I was Sergeant Lazary and Sergeant Lazary was me and to take off that uniform and remove those stripes and no longer be that Sergeant Lazary. I, um, I lost my identity or at least, 
I lost who I was able to connect my identity with and I didn't have anything else to fall back on. I mean, take away my military experience. All I was, was a high school, barely graduated high school, you know, graduate. And, and that was it. And I didn't know what to do about that. I didn't know how to feel about that. Um, you know, I was a senior squad leader acting platoon sergeant at times, and I was able to command and control the, the flow of my world and command and control the respect of, of those around me, both seniors, peers, and subordinates. And it was, um, I was very, very good at my job and felt, um, that was, that was me. That was who I was. That was my identity. And then when I got out, I lost all that. And so I didn't know where I would find that again or how I would do that again. I'd have to reinvent myself. And, and I did, but ultimately it did, but it took a lot of trial and error. And a lot of guys that separate that I talk to deal with that same very thing. Um, and in a lot of cases they don't ever find a way to reinvent themselves. And I think a lot of it comes down to uh, finding purpose again. And that was another reason I started Changer POV was, was initially it was to kind of do that train the trainer thing, kind of pass the, the torch on. But, but selfishly, if I'm being honest, it was, uh, I had to create a sense of purpose for myself again that, um, you know, serving something bigger than yourself really mean, means a lot to me. Uh, and, and I found that in the military and when I got out, I lost that. So I had to find that again. And, and I tried to find it in different organizations, but they, like I said, there just wasn't any here. So I just decided, well, if I can't find it, I'm going to create it. And so change your POV was my way of creating that, that sense of purpose in that sense of, um, being part of something bigger than myself, serving a greater cause. And, and that gave me a lot of comfort in knowing that I was making a difference or at least trying to make a difference and being a part of something bigger than me. Um, and so, and that's a, also our message to, to, to guys and gals listening, you know, to, to the show was, you know, if you can't be a part of something, you, you, you still, you need to find, you need to find a way to get re, get plugged back in, to get connected with something bigger than yourself. You need to find purpose again. And it, and it comes in different forms for different people. I mean, volunteering at your local animal shelter might, might be what that is for you, right? That might be all you need, you know, a few hours every Saturday to, to go in and help clean out kennels and feed, you know, puppies and, and boom, you've, you've, you feel like you are uh, giving back and you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Some people, they need to start their own, you know, how many veterans get out of the military and they are just hell bent on starting their own nonprofit organization. Uh, and, and, and we or, kinda, a, or, or t-shirt or coffee or, or t-shirt yeah. or coffee yeah. company. Right. And we make, we kind of poke at it and we kind of laugh at it a little bit and we think it's kind of funny. Uh, but I guarantee you that most of those folks are, are doing it just because they're trying to now no one's going to get rich doing, I mean, there's a few companies out there that are finding monetary, monetary success in those companies. But by and large, a lot of what, what these guys are trying to do is they're trying to create something bigger than themselves. They're trying to create purpose and meaning in their life. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, you know, it's, 
it doesn't matter what you do. You've got to find purpose and meaning in your life. And if you try something like that to, to bring purpose and meaning in your life and it doesn't succeed, then you also have to be okay with some level of failure as well. Right. Um, and some guys, they, they start something because they want to have something meaningful and purposeful in their life. And then it miserably fails. And now they're left with, okay, now, not only do I not have something that I can have in my life that brings me purpose and meaning, but now I'm also a failure on top of it. And I experienced some of that when I uh, failed with my own business, that sense of I never failed anything in my life before, but now here I am a failed business owner, right? Uh, and I took that personally. I took that to heart and and I didn't want that to be my new identity, right? A failed business owner. And uh, yeah, I grappled with a lot, man, a lot of uh, inside, you know, scrapplings with myself, right? A lot of interior mental arguments or, or conflict. And, uh, it's, it's a lot, man, because sometimes I am my own worst critic. I am my own worst enemy. Um, I make perfect the enemy of good. I, um, some might even say I'm a little obsessive compulsive when it comes to certain things. Um, I start a lot of things and I never finish them. I never see them through. I mean, there's a lot of things about myself that I've learned in this process. And that's the other thing that we talk about on the show quite a bit was self-actualization. Understanding and becoming aware of oneself is, it's a journey, man, and it's not easy. And um, But I think it's necessary to understand more about oneself and good and bad and to recognize your faults and to have people in your life that are able and willing to give it to you straight and you've got to be open to it. And, you know, having you and, and Jeff and, and Bennett and Andrew is, is kind of on my, I considered you guys to be on my, my board. You are my, on my board of directors in my life. And, um, I am open to hear the different constructive criticisms that you guys have, because I know that it comes from a place of love and to have that is invaluable. So um, <clears throat> anybody that is separating from the military, I think that's another key piece of being successful is developing your own board of directors, people that you have on your team, on your side, that are willing to look out for your best interests and be honest and candid with you, even if it's things that are hard to hear. Well, you know, and I think that's one of the things, again, you personally, um, and then the Change Your POV uh, podcast. I, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday um, who was saying, I'm thinking of starting my own podcast, but it's too difficult, right? It's too hard. It's too, you know, and, and you just, you grabbed the mic and you got started and Bennett, you know, came on and said, dude, that kind of sucks. And let me come on and have conversations with you and make it better than what it was. And, and you have amassed a, a, a body of work um, that is pretty significant. And, and you've had some some very memorable moments. Your your o four o four o four series, uh, I think, was probably one of the highlights for me um, uh, that the change your POV did. But but then also saying, you know, this isn't just about you. That you brought on the other shows, and you said that, you know, I know what my limits are, and I can't uh, um, I can't do this all myself. And, and you and Bennett together, um, but then sharing that knowledge, right? You know, this is uh, 
this is kicking off. This is spinning off. Essentially, you know, I'm I'm a spin-off of the Change Your POV podcast. Conspiracy Geeks can be considered a spin-off of the Change Your POV podcast network. Hopefully I'll be um you know, if we're a spinoff of Happy Days, I'll be like Laverne and Shirley and not Joni Loves Chachi, right? You know, <laughs> right, so it'll yeah. be it'll be a successful spinoff as opposed to this. Uh, you know, the the original show was good, but the second one was crap. Um, but being able to, you know, this isn't difficult, right? I mean, you, it's it's something that you can learn. Um, and we veterans aren't necessarily communicating in this way. I know that we as mental health professionals aren't communicating this way. Uh, but you're absolutely right that that connection that you have to other people is is what is going to make us successful in post-military life. If it wasn't for, you know, you and your your harebrained scheme of, you know, I think I originally said no, didn't I? I said, forget that. Yeah, I think you were, you were I don't know if it was a straight up no, but it was definitely an apprehensive like, I'm going to have to think about that <laughs> and I'll, have to get, I'll get back to you on that. Uh, but it didn't say, I was like, okay, man, well, you know, wrestle around with it for a little while and, and let me know what you think. And, and you finally kind of came back around and said, yeah, I think I, I think I might want to try this. Uh, and I knew you were going to be good at it. I mean, if you could, if you could talk and interview half as good as you can write your articles, I'm like, this is a no brainer. Um, it, you know, you're, you're going to tap into, to, cause that's the thing too, is, is I've done a lot of research to say, okay, well, what are other, anytime you're doing anything, whether it's small business, a podcast, whatever, you're, you're always curious about who, who's out there doing what you're doing. And I guess comp competition is, is not the right word in the, in the podcast space, but I became acutely aware of other people, other veterans that were creating podcasts. And I listened to a lot of them because I wanted to see what is it that they were talking about? Is it the same, similar or different than what I was talking about? Um, not that I thought we were in competition, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just a, another show talking about the same things over and over again. I wanted to be uniquely different. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of veteran podcasts out there that talk about separation and transition and things like that. But a lot of the topics, some are, some are similar and you start getting into broad topics like PTSD and, you know, um, converting military experience, those type of things. Those are very broad topics. But I, I think that what we were able to bring to the table is a lot more granular in terms of, uh, really digging into some of those topics and getting really to the heart of, of some of the uh, actionable steps that one would need to take to, to see success in some of those areas. And, you know, being able to bring you on and, and, and it's funny because yeah, change your POV podcast network. It was one of those shows it's that I would subscribe, subscribe to my own show and it would download all of this, the episodes that were releasing because I had the joy of driving into work every morning, listening to a new release of a show that I didn't have uh, an advanced copy of. So when I would listen to one of your new, one of your new releases, it was at the same time, everyone else in the world was also listening to it. And, um, and some of them, you know, all your shows are good. But some of them really hit me harder than others, um, personally. And I just, you know, a few times pulled into the parking lot of my work and kind of sat and finished listening to the show. And, and a couple of times even called you, even though we had this 
time difference and I'd wake you up at Odark Stupid in the morning, but um, call you to tell you about the show that you had released uh, and how it how it personally impacted me. And it was just, I just remember thinking, wow, um, how lucky I was to be able to capture those interviews and those moments on the Change Your POV podcast network. And, and regardless of what happens going forward, whether you're doing your own show on your own network or, you know, having shows on Change Your POV, regardless, um, it's, it's content that will be, uh, out there in the in the east ecosphere forever right it's 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 timeless i think it's evergreen i don't think you know i don't think there's any show that we've done you know that wouldn't be relevant 10 15 20 years from now and that's one of the things that i really enjoyed about creating the show is knowing that you know at some point down the road i'm going to be an old man and maybe my grandkids will will have the opportunity to listen to uh some of my shows and listen to you know, depending on how old they are, some shows might be inappropriate, but, but nonetheless, it's, it's building, uh, a library of legacy, I think, right. When we're, when we're long gone, Dwayne, you and I, and, um, and we've passed the baton, ultimate baton onto those in our lives that, that are coming after us. Um, those, those episodes and our voices will be, you know, heard years after long after we're gone, um, and, and I think building that legacy and I didn't realize that's ultimately what we were doing until, you know, much, much later in, you know, probably two and a half years into it. I'm like, wow, we're, we're, we're not only building a library of a lot of content here, but we're building our legacy in things that will, will carry on after we're long gone. Right. And, and I think ultimately that's what we all strive to do is to have a big enough impact in, other people's lives to, um, to be a positive force in people's lives long after, long after we've gone. Right. And, and I think if we can say we've done that, or at least we've tried to do that, to, to pass it forward or whatever you want to call it, then I think that's, you know, that's being successful in, in your endeavors, right? Whatever it is, if you are finding a way to make a, a lasting change for the positive in anyone's life, I think that's all anyone could ask. You know, and that's uh, sort of that long view. Um, it's it's very critical. You know, I've been doing a lot with uh, voice first technology and and doing this thing with the uh, uh, the Alexa, uh, Amazon Alexa. And uh, there's this this concept. Uh, there's a sort of voice first futurist guy named Brian Romley, who really the future of AI is that there will be a point in the future in which everything that we are, our personality, what we know, um, is going to be captured. So imagine, um, you know, if, uh, you know, tragedy strikes, um, and, and I pass away before my, uh, before my son marries, uh, and then, you know, on, you know, the day before his wedding day or something, he, you know, he pulls up whatever this archive of my personality is and say, you know what, dad, I'm really, you know, I mean, it's not me, right? It's, it's, it's recorded me or it's just, you know, it's, it's captured me. And he was like, you know, Hey, I'm not really sure about this, or I'm really nervous about this. And, and what, what did you think on your wedding day? Um, and then that's able to be played back. Well, I'm thinking about your great grandchildren who are thinking about starting their own business can go back and listen to that episode where you talk about your business failure um, and how not to uh, how not to t- tear down a tree, 
right? Or, um, yeah. you know, what is it? Bennett and his blue chickens or, you know, it's a, <coughs> but some of this, uh, it, but you know, if, if there is like, you know, Hey, I wonder what, you know, great grandpa Lazary, you know, thought about this subject that it's always there. Yeah. And, and, you know, and here's the funny thing too, and this is something that, that I haven't really shared with anyone. Um, if, and this is really for anyone that's ever thought about or interested in, in starting a podcast. A lot of questions that I get around podcast is, you know, what benefit do you get out of podcasting? And, uh, and, and traditionally, I've always said, like, what we're talking about is building a, a library of content, um, you know, promoting oneself. There's a lot of, ad, you know, advantages to. And when I say promoting yourself, I'm not talking about in a you know, egotistical kind of a snobbish way, but, you know, branding, you know, creating your own brand, marketing yourself in a positive light is incredibly valuable today and will will probably be even more valuable in the future. And, you know, a podcast is, is one way of doing that. Blogging is another way. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And, uh, and, and I found podcasting to be, uh, more of a, of an avenue that I could continue to do versus writing. I like writing, but I don't, you know, have the, the bandwidth to sit down and, and craft a written word like you do, Dwayne, in your, in your blog articles. I just find them a little bit more difficult for me to do. Um, but podcasting is more of the medium. That's more my speed. And so one of the other things though, that, that, and this again, to anyone that's ever thought about starting a podcast uh, are these intangible, uh, experiences intangible lessons or whatever you want to call it that you end up learning in the process. And, and here's some, here's a a short list of some things that I ended up gaining value from podcasting. And that is, uh, I, I work in a, in a corporate environment. That's my day job. I work, uh, for a a large organization and in, in the corporate world. And, um, I find it much easier than a lot of people to, uh, present in front of a large group. I find it easier than a lot of people to articulate an idea or a thought without using a lot of filler words like ums and ahs and so's. But that hasn't always been the case. I've, I have struggled with, you know, vocalized interpretations of thought, uh, especially in a large group. Uh, you know, giving presentations wasn't always easy for me. Yeah, I've given classes in the military. I was a range officer. I mean, there's a lot of things that you do in the military, uh, but you don't, you know, you're not standing up in front of a whole bunch of people with a PowerPoint presentation trying to, trying to convey an idea or thought. In the corporate world, you do, and a lot of people approach me and say, "Wow, you, you really know how to control a room. You really know how to present. You know how to articulate. You know how to um, interview. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of interviews and." And people say, well, where do you learn that? Where did you learn that? And to be honest with you, Dwayne, I think a lot of my success in the corporate world with verbal communication and everything that that implies from presentation to interviewing, et cetera, really comes down to the many, many, many hours uh, that I've spent behind the microphone doing podcasting, um, interviewing people. I'm sure you're starting to see a little bit of a difference in the way you listen to people. Well, I mean, you're you're a mental health clinician, so you're trained in listening. But but when you're interviewing somebody, you you learn over time how to anticipate 
what they're thinking or the direction that the conversation is going to go. And you work, you have an agenda, I guess, in for lack of a better term, you have an agenda that you're trying to hit during that interview. And so you've got to try to guide and direct or steer that conversation back onto uh, topic. And, you know, those are skills that I learned through interviewing and podcasting through Change Your POV. And it was one of those things that I would have never guessed or never have known when I first started out that that would be one of the the residual benefits of podcasting. And it's a tremendous skill set that I learned as a result, and I'm very happy uh, that I did. So for anybody that's interested in podcasting or thinking about doing it, and they're wondering what is in it for them, aside from you know having a, a medium by which you can voice an idea or thought, uh, aside from building legacy uh, for the future, aside from all those things that we talked about before, there's a lot of intangibles as well that you'll end up learning that you gained throughout the process. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, you, you're, you're podcasting for the audience, but you're also podcasting for yourself, right? You know, I mean, this is, there's a, a little bit of a, a selfishness that maybe goes along with it in that you get to have really cool conversations with really cool people, right? You know, there's, yeah. there's people that I normally would not have, uh, you know, when I interviewed uh, General Don Bolduck, right? You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to, I'm not necessarily going to be able to have a conversation with them, but he and I, you know, since when are you going to talk about the difficult transition of a general officer with a one-star former, you know, SOCAF commander? Uh, these are the kind of cool, intangible things um, that happen whenever you're you're trying to do a podcast. I actually just had something happen just the other day with this. Um, so I wrote a blog post. Uh, it's been over a year now um, about when I visited the Marine Corps Memorial Hotel, right? Um, and uh, actually, I was in San Francisco. Um, I had met Justine Evers for coffee, number mm. one, another connection of somebody that I met through blogging that then I introduced you to Justine. I think she actually came on uh, Change Your POV a couple of different times. Yep. Um, and and so, and then Justine was like, hey, you've got to go check out this, uh, um, you know, I said, Where, where's good for dinner? She said, go eat at the uh, Marine Corps Memorial Hotel. Uh, well, if you've never been there, um, down in the lobby, there's all of these displays and there's actually a display about a, uh, a Marine Corps Second Lieutenant J.P. Blacksmith who um, uh, who was killed in action and his, um, he had had a disposable camera. You know how we used to carry those disposable cameras around with that, uh, combat tourist. Um, and there's this story about how, um, one of the, the multimedia folks in the Marine Corps, um, had developed this and it was like probably the last known thing that he saw, you know, the last thing that he saw was this, uh, uh, this image on the rooftop. And it was just this really meaningful thing for me. And I saw, well, that means something different to me. That story means something different to me. Um, as a veteran, it means something different to you as a veteran, somebody who served in combat than somebody who didn't. So I wrote that. Uh, then uh, a little bit later, uh, I had a, um, a Navy veteran um, on the show, uh, Tim Avery, back in episode 56. Um, again, um, Justin Nasiri, who actually sort of got me started in podcast with his Beyond the Uniform, uh, introduced me to Tim, and then Tim was on the show in episode 56. That blog post made it into the book. I gave Tim a copy of my book. Well, I just got a, uh, 
I just got a message from Tim. He was like, hey, I'm reading through your book. I was actually in class at the Naval Academy with J.P. Blecksmith. We knew each other. Um, wow. You know, I mean, and it's it's this thing that comes full circle that that had I not met Justine through our mutual writings and then had coffee with her and gone to the Marine Corps Memorial Hotel and then had that dinner and then all of these other things. And if Justin hadn't introduced me to Tim um, and then that one moment where Tim had a a connection of I knew that guy and I'm able to remember him in a certain way and thank you for that is, is really what his his message was. I mean, that makes it all worth it, right? I Hell mean, yeah. no matter what yeah. else is going on, just that connection right there um, is, you know, and we always say, oh, if I can only help one individual, but I think that, that that's the kind of intangible stuff that happens when we put ourselves out there and we create this content and we start drawing all these different lines between the dots. Um, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, networking and, and I can't say it enough, you know, networking has been such an, an incredible part of my success post-military, both within the military uh, community, as well as in, in my corporate environment, because I realized that, and it's it's a funny thing, right? The whole time I was in the military, I knew that there's no way you can do something by yourself. I mean, that's the whole reason why you know teams are created. I mean, you got battle buddies. Down, there is no individual. The lowest element is two, right? You and your battle buddy, and 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 then the more you you bring onto that equation, you you know your teams, your squads, your platoons. The more and more things you're able to do and accomplish, all the way up to, you know, uh, securing the objective, right? Ultimately, whatever that is, and and everyone in the military knows that you just don't do anything successfully by yourself. You are a a an individual member of a cog of a giant wheel, uh, but you're not irreplaceable, right? You've got succession of command in your build. You build that into your structure, your hierarchy. You know, my Joes are trained to do my job. I'm trained to do my platoon sergeant's job all the way up the chain of command, right? That's yeah. just were the you, way, way it works. Were you surprised that the army kept going when you left Fort Hood? Like the flag went up <laughs> and the flag went down? And, <laughs> right, right, exactly. It just, yeah, the, you know, the army goes rolling along like that song like means something now, right? Because it, it truly does keep going. And and I get out of the military and I try to do everything myself. You know, I try to do everything myself and completely failed time and time again. And I fi- it finally hits me. I'm like, nothing I did in the military I was able to do successfully myself. You could try, but you're not going to have a whole lot of success being an individual in the military. You, embracing, you know, team there's no i in team right all some people will say well what about the uh what about the army of one right in the whole slog i don't even know if that's still the army slogan but it was definitely not it was when i was in right the army one it was a big joke but uh but you know the reality is nobody did anything alone in the military and had a whole lot of uh, great success from it you get out of the military and i for some reason thought that i was good enough to do everything myself and uh I realized that very quickly that um, attempting to do that brought nothing but a whole lot of failure and misery. And so I decided that I would 
go back to incorporating what I learned in the military, and that was you need you need people. You need people on your team on your side to help you out. You need to build that network, and that's what I once I finally decided to just give in and open myself up to that, um, and ask for help and ask for you know you know help can be a lot of different things. For me, I just needed somebody that understood kind of where I came from, some, an ear to talk to somebody that to share ideas or bounce thoughts off of, you know, Hey man, I got this crazy idea. Am I crazy? Here's what it is. And then the response, whatever that is, and be open to that, to that response. Something as simple as that, just realizing that, that you can't make decisions in your life by yourself. And, uh, and that network network became incredibly important to me. And I started to build it out on LinkedIn and on other social medias and it began to grow my network. And now I got, you know, I got friends I consider to be close friends whom I've never even met before. I've never met Jeff in person. You and I only met once, uh, you know, a few months back in, in Florida for the first time. Um, you know, met Bennett a handful of times, literally can count on one hand how many times I've, you know, been, um, in the same room with him, but it, it, it made me realize that, that connections can span the globe. They don't have to be right next door or in your hometown. Like some of the closest friends or confidants that I have in my network live all over the country, you know, and uh, Justine Evers being one of them, wherever she happens to reside these days. I know she's been moving around a lot, but, um, it's just amazing to have a, a incredible people in your life. And so that's one of my ad- advice to anyone out there. When you separate from the military, think outside your local community, think outside your hometown, think outside, you know, whatever it is, open, open yourself up to being open to new, new things. You know, there, there's people that I would have never even imagined having friends that were not in the army. Right. I got, I got friends that were in the Navy or in the Marine Corps and, and, uh, that live all over the country and people that I really value in my life. And, and that's, it's, and it starts with me being, um, putting myself out there, as you said, right. Being willing to put yourself out there and be willing to make friends and introduce yourself. And I think podcasting more than anything allowed me to start that conversation, right. Like I would have never met Sylvia um, and I would have never have met, you know, so many people I can, I can just go on forever with the people that I have an opportunity to talk to in the interview. Um, then I now consider to be part of my extended family. And I think it's just an amazing, an amazing thing that, you know, whether change your POV continues going forward or, or not, um, it doesn't change the relationships that I've been able to build along the way. You know, and that's uh, that's definitely what you've done, right? You know, bringing us all together and, and building um, uh, just the network. It's it's unique. The the idea that you guys had was different shows on the same stream is unique. Uh, of course, it took a little explaining to when people said they wanted to to figure this out. Um, you know, how do I get your show? But it's it's still it's it's good the way that uh, that you guys had it set up, and uh, and I appreciate it. And we uh, we got to bring this to a close. Yeah, man, it's a uh, great talking to you, and uh, best of luck with all of your endeavors moving forward, uh, transitioning your uh, headspace and timing podcast over to your own solid show. Um, I, I think it's exciting. I think, um, man, I'm I'm here for anything that you that you need, and I'm just uh, I'm grateful that you 
were able to uh, play along on the Change Your POV podcast network for as long as you have, and I'm encouraged that you're deciding to continue and move forward. Uh, I think it's I think it's awesome, man. I'm really really excited for you. No, I appreciate it. And you guys get uh, you know sort of cameos uh, anytime you want to come back on, right? You know that's sort of the you know I mean it's uh, e- even whether I want to or not, you'll be like, hey, we're gonna talk today, and like, all right, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's so this is gonna be the first episode on the new stream. Um, it's uh, January first. It's so I mean, and, and it's like everything happened the way it's supposed to because January first lands on a Tuesday, and that's uh, I'm still gonna maintain that. It's still gonna be out on Tuesday mornings. Um, but you're going to be able to find it on, uh, all the, all the spaces, um, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Google play tune in. I got a whole list of uh, stitcher. I'm, I'm, uh, in the process. So, um, as you're listening to this or anybody's listening to this, um, it's, it's on your own and then I got to build it up again. Right. You know, I got to, should I, uh, should I give away books for the, uh, first number of people who, uh, who, um, review, or something? Should I do something yeah, like I, that? Yeah, I think so. That would be a, that would be a great idea because you got to get those reviews up on your on your RSS feed, right? Um, that'd be a, that'd be a great idea for anyone that that reviews. And again, we're not saying anyone gives you a five star. Just anyone that provides you with a, a review and honest rating and review um, gets thrown into a a drawing at the end of January for a free. You know, combat the veteran. Jesus, I just butchered your name of your book. Um, I got it sitting right here. As a matter of fact, it's a great book. Are you going to do a a sequel, a second one? It's actually um, we're in the process of putting the first one out as a. You know, we should have planned this out, right? You know, so the first one, the prequel is actually going to be the sequel, and so the by the end of January, the first one titled Headspace and Timing is going to come out in paperback. Um, oh, nice! But it's going to oh, come it, out as only the second on, book. It's only on ebook right now. It's, yeah, it's on Kindle right now, and okay. uh, and so we're we're doing that. You know, I, I may even do one better. I may put my uh, where my money, where my mouth is, and say um, anybody that either the first twenty, let's say the first twenty to subscribe or um, to leave a review, if they email it to me and they give me. You know, take a snapshot, take a, a a screenshot of their review, and email it to me at Duane at VeteranMentalHealth.com, uh, and then their address, and I'll send them a book, like twenty. That's very cool. I'm giving away twenty. That's awesome. Yeah, twenty. I'm not. I'm not rich. <laughs> no. I can't, I can't no. do. I can't do the first fifty, the first hundred. <laughs> right. You will eventually, though. No, but that's a great idea. That's very very cool. You got to build up that. Uh, you got to get those listeners to su- subscribe. That's one of the hard hard challenges is to get people that have already subscribed on Change Your POV to go over and find your show and subscribe on your show. But the name of the show that they are looking for is Headspace and Timing, right? That is that's it. That's not changed. Nope, nope. So there you go. The, uh, so you'll be able to uh, find it in your podcast player of choice. Well, there you it's go, cool, buddy. Man. No, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out, and uh, like I said, this is not the end. This is the uh, it's like the end of Casablanca, right? You know, this is the beginning yeah. of a beautiful friendship. And, and so, just so everyone is listening, you're you're migrating all of the headspace and timing shows that was on Changer POV over to your, so they can get everything over on one on one feed, right? Yeah, all the way back. Oh, you're you're episode nice. eighty nine, and and it's all gonna be it's gonna be fully populated all the way back to the first show. 
Wow, and, very uh, cool. So, so all of the shenanigans and uh, and messing arounds, that's uh, it's all going to be there. Very cool. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right, brother. Well, now I will tell you, if you're one of the first 20, you're not going to be able to uh, – I'm not giving you another book. You've already got one. <laughs> nice. All right, man. Take it easy, and uh, we'll catch you later. All right, man. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. This episode did run on a bit longer than usual, which is kind of saying something. Like you heard on the show, Eddie and I have been working together for a couple of years. He and his co-host, Bennett, created the Change Your POV podcast network to be the most comprehensive resource for service members and veterans as they transition. They saw, as I do, that there's not a lot of discussion about mental health and wellness as we leave the military. We always say that the military trains us to be service members, but they don't train us how not to be service members. Serving in the military has an impact on the way that we think and the way that we behave. That's not a bad thing, and it's often a good thing. It doesn't mean that we're crazy combat killers or broken warriors or mythic heroes. It does mean that we need to understand how our experience changed us and how we can have the best post-military life we deserve. I owe a huge debt of gratitude to Eddie and Bennett, as well as fellow co-hosts Jeff Adamek and Andrew McDowell. Their support and willingness to have hard conversations about mental health and wellness is encouraging. Thanks for taking the time to check us out. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash 089. While you're there, share the link to the show with someone that you think may enjoy it. One of the challenges in changing the way we think and talk about mental health is spreading the word. You can subscribe to a bunch of different podcast players like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. Check them out at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash platforms. Don't forget to write a review. Like I said in the episode, the first 20 folks that subscribe or write a review, take a picture of it, and email it to me at duane at veteranmentalhealth.com. I'll send you a free autographed copy of Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track Not Alone from his album Combat Medicine. Doc is trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light. And you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us next week for another great episode. And until then, remember, veterans, you're not alone, ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Often in Tennessee, embrace my ability
guys. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up. You know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.